All right, Chema, let's, um, we're just finishing up there with baseball. Let's jump into the NBA uh, with our general question here. And this is, I, I'm really, this is one I'm actually really looking forward to your thoughts on this one. Well, I'm looking forward to all your thoughts on all these questions. I would have asked them otherwise. <laughs> uh, but this one especially I think is kind of interesting. Does the future of the NBA look more like uh, Giannis's uh, Bucks team? There's one superstar, a secondary star, and a guy like Chris Middleton. And then, um, like, a diversity of role players, basically, kind of makes up the roster. Um, so does the future of the NBA look like that? Or are we going to see more, are we still going to see a lot of teams doing what LeBron's Lakers look like? Superstars, past and present, just stacked on this roster. Like, what do you think is the logical direction for the NBA where you're going to look at most teams and say they mostly look like this or they mostly look like that? Okay, I will say mostly teams are going to look like Giannis's team. And um, this is rooted in just like a really simple logic um, that I use is that the L.A. Lakers, like we talked about Otani being an alien and Tom Brady being being an alien. The Lakers are almost like one of these like alien organizations. And and when it comes to the NBA teams like what we're seeing here, you know, you may see like other teams and stuff like that, get a couple of veterans or whatever. But the Lakers, this just seems like something that's on point for them. And um, I, you know, I remember there there was this point in time where they had Carl Malone and like Gary Payton and stuff. So, what's going on now just kind of seems like a um, like a rehashing of what was going on back then. And the team had Kobe. The team has LeBron now, and it's just kind of like LeBron's version of that Carl Malone, uh, Gary Payton team. So I think that like while it may be a it may be like a pretty long time before we ever see something like um lebron carmelo russell westbrook and it's, it's going to be a long time before we see another lebron but um in terms of like those three players on the same team i, I think like you know it's always going to exist in la um it'll be a while before we before we see it again but every other team like they're going to kind of just have to be forced with what's going on with um, the Milwaukee Bucks. And this all, I think, goes back to like um, NBA players wanting to play in certain markets and everything. And um, Milwaukee, like even though winning a title, they're still not an attractive market to go to. Like it's um, it's just the way that these that these teams are like some NBA players want to be like in the New Yorks, the the Miamis, the L.A.'s, like maybe an occasional Boston or something. So a way of the way that a lot of teams look going into the future are going to be like what we see going on with the Bucks, like what we could see going on with the Cavs with Evan Mobley, just being like the one superstar and a role of supporting characters that are there to support him until the organization fucks up and he goes somewhere else. Um, so like, I, I think that that is going to be more of the game plan going forward for and NBA teams in general, but we're still going to have like an occasional, probably just Lakers or maybe like maybe the, the the Knicks or something or the Celtics, like another big name team having that. So it's just what we see in LA is going to be reserved for the bigger markets every now and then everybody else is going to be like the Bucks. Yeah. Yes. And actually here's why I asked that question because the Lakers, the, the Lakers and the Clippers are really the only teams like that right now. That even the Knicks, who like, who's the superstar in the Knicks? To like RJ, maybe. I, I mean, like, I wouldn't um, even say Randall. Like, I I wouldn't say any of them are superstars. I'd say they're both stars. Um, they're both really good players, and I think the Knicks have kind of learned from like chasing, you know, chasing Carmelo and chasing. You know, they had Carmelo and uh, 
Porzingis and I, I can't remember who else they tried to chase down for like the they tried to build like their own version of a big three. Oh, they had Amari Stoudemire for a while. Like when Carmelo first came on the team, yeah. I think he went with them and stuff. I I think they're the Knicks are a team that's learning from that, especially you know considering the this the success they had with the way they built their roster the uh, the past couple of years. That like well, we don't need to we don't need to put four superstars in this team when we already have, like, a good team in place. I mean, even look at the Miami Heat post, um, you know, post-Big 3 breakup. Um, you know, it's Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler, and then, like, who else is, like, the huge superstar? Tyler Harrow believes he's on the level of... Yeah, so he, he <laughs> believes that, but... And he's a nice player, but, like, I think that's really what you're seeing across the league kind of taking root, that it's, like, a superstar and a nice player that kind of complement. Mm-hmm. I, I just think you're seeing less and less of the... The teaming up, I, I'm not really sure exactly why. Like, I, I interrupt. Like, you know, the Lakers are always going to kind of be like that. The team, the bigger money teams are going to kind of be like that. But I mean, even the even the Celtics post, it's been a while since they've had a quote unquote big three. Um, That's right. I mean, it's been a long time, and I think I think they are in need of another star simply because I think that it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's a nice player. He's not really a star. He's a nice compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't really have anyone else that kind of fits fits that role. But I, I think that's just the way for a while the league's going to go, um, especially with the way that player salaries are exploding. Um, you know, can you again like the the like the thing that kind of hampered the Miami Heat when they had LeBron, Wade, and Chris Bosh? They could pay no one else any money to come down there, uh, anyone of circumstance. Right. Like obviously they had nice role players. They don't go. You don't go to four straight game, four straight, uh, um, you know, championship rounds without having a good team. But like, you know, it, it, it like they just weren't nearly a complete team. And I, I think that we're looking more. I think especially, especially the front offices now are going to look at this and go, okay, so I can sink most of my resources into Giannis, and then keep a ton of flexibility. By having one mm-hmm. secondary star like a Chris Middleton, who's a great player but not a superstar, and then a ton of role players who I can, you know, if you're the GM, I got a ton of role players that I can mix and match. And if I need to go get someone else, if I need to make a trade for another role player for even another secondary star, I have significantly more flexibility than if I had two or three massive contracts to deal with. Oh yeah, without a doubt, dude. Like you have the flexibility thing here is totally key. And not having um those three players or not having to pay three superstars a whole shit ton of money is gonna give you that flexibility. And like, you know, when it comes to the NBA and stuff like that, there's a lot of players to choose from and you could keep you could move people around and do five team trades all fucking day and night until you have like what is the right squad and stuff like you could start off with like a um you know like with like a character like Giannis or a developing Evan Mobley and you could take two or three years of like shuffling people to get what you think might be the best fit for him almost kind of like a um sort of like a money ball type situation sure. you know maybe like a little bit of some analytics implied there but um and 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 do and try things out and see if they work and keep people that work and give her to people that don't work and stuff. And like, you're going to end up saving a lot more money than let's just say, Oh, bringing in Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook and these people who are at the end of their careers where you're still paying them money. You're not getting the Carmelo Anthony from 10 years ago. And, um, 
you know, and I think that you're like, you know, just in a much better situation in terms of developing players because there's not that much ego to go around. Yeah, I think you're right on there. Although, in fairness, they're not paying a lot of money for Carmelo or like Dwight Howard, but mm-hmm. not even that really the point. The point being like they're just like past their prime stars that like you here here's something here's like where I was going to go with that. That that Lakers team is a lot. I don't want to say they're easier to guard because no team is easy to guard with LeBron, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time. But right, I, I what I think the advantage that a team like the Bucks and and even for that matter the Suns last year. It's probably why they another reason why this like you know Chris Paul is past his prime. He's still a good player, but it's Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and then you know DeAndre Ayton as like your as your secondary star. Um. Teams that have a ver- much bigger variety of uh, you know of, of skill sets are a lot harder to guard and and or a lot harder to scheme against if on the offensive side. When you have a lot of like ball handlers that just stop the ball, it's a lot easier to plan. Like I, I would I would feel it, I mean it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but I would feel like it would be easier to scheme a plan to stop the Brooklyn Nets than it would be to stop the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, I gotcha. I understand what you're saying here. You you have three personalities on the Bucks so in, with a Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden. That um, the tape's been out on them for a fucking while and stuff like that. I think you're able to better prepare for those kind of players, and um, they their game because their stars is just like so much more identifiable than maybe like some younger teams or teams that don't have as big a stars on them. And I think you're just, you're basically, you're in a better preparation. You're in a better situation to prepare for a team like that. Right. I mean, basically I know it's not like, like stopping Kevin Durant's an easy thing or stopping James Harden's an easy thing, but basically the game plan is don't let them kill you. If Blake Griffin and Karis Levert go off, they go off. It that's, that's fine. We'll live with that. But it's a lot harder to stop a team like the Milwaukee Bucks where Giannis is like, oh, you're going to guard me? Fine. I have no problem passing the ball off and letting Chris Middleton score. Chris Middleton has no problem passing the ball off and letting these role players mm-hmm. hit shots. Like there's, They don't have a problem doing that, and that's a lot harder to stop. Yeah, because, dude, like you can – they're just going to double-team Giannis. Giannis is the type of player that is going to draw a double-team. And if you're really just – you know, once they get the double-team on him, if you're just dishing it out to whoever, you know, was guarding Middleton or whatever, you know, you're just dishing the ball to him and then just relying on the fundamentals of basketball, him pulling up a shot. He doesn't have to do anything crazy because by Giannis being double-teamed, in theory, like his job is being made easier. Yeah, yeah. Um – yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chema, let me let me uh, jump here first with our first question, our first blind question. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the video of uh, one Mr. Former number 1 overall pick, Zion Williamson, um, trying to get back on the court. Like, he's got a foot injury that required surgery, and there's a, a whole... There's a whole issue with that, with, uh, the, with the Pelicans lying about his injury until, like, the week before, like, training camp. But neither here nor there. Um, but mm-hmm. Zion looks awful right now um physically yeah. looks out of shape and terrible what is what is zion's long-term future in the nba look like right now well probably pretty short if you're talking about a foot injury like i mean i'm saying that he's not gonna this isn't gonna be the end of zion he's gonna make a comeback here but uh he does look pretty pretty big if you know what i'm saying and um I don't necessarily know how well he's going to be able to move around after recovering from a foot injury and also probably continuing to get bigger and bigger. And 
it's one of these things like it's not like Shaq. Like Shaq was like seven feet tall. You know, he could be 300 pounds like that's it's 300 pounds is a world of difference on Shaquille O'Neal than it is on, on me. And I know that Zion's he does. He's not as big as Shaq in terms of height wise, but he's definitely on the path to getting there weight wise. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's like it could be one of these deals where like you know if he gets on a team and like like if he puts on if he gets bigger he could just be one of these like chaos presence on the court but however he might not even be in the best possible position to create chaos because he's going to be at such a disadvantage because of his size if this was a football game i'd be like yeah dude put on 20 more pounds and let's get you on the d line <laughs> but it's basketball it's a little bit different like even the way your body moves is different and when you are Zion size, you've had injuries, um, and you're playing this game that requires like a lot of, um, what is it? Anaerobic movement where you don't stop, you know, you just kind of keep going or whatever. It's not like football where there's like a play and you rest, you mm-hmm. kind of keep going. Um, you know, I just don't think that you're in set up in the position to last long. Like there's, you know, basketball players usually look a certain way for a reason. And that is because that's the best possible body type to play the game at some point in time. Like your body, you know, you may have like a lot of size and who knows that he may have, he may have five games where he just looks like a dominating force, but he's not going to last a full season or he's going to have injury problems throughout the course of the season and stuff. So I, I think he's, I hate to say this, but like, I hate, I hate to really like put it like this, but like, I think he maybe needs to like work down on like cutting down some LBs and stuff like that to really have some real longevity in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't think, um, I, I don't think this is like, I know some people have like said like, well, it's just his body type. Yo, his body type compared to when he was at Duke right now, look, he looks like he's twice the size of when he was, yeah. when he was starting. I mean, he literally looks way bigger. And I think, I think the video that kind of circulated also, like, you know, he was in, like, some, like, sweats and wasn't really, like, you know, like, he just, you can wear clothes that just aren't flattering, but Mm -hmm. nonetheless, you can see it in his face, you can see it in his hips, like, he's way bigger than he was in the last couple of seasons, especially when he, compared to his time at Duke, and, like, I get that, he's just built, he is built much more like a defensive tackle, however, you can still do the work to get lighter, and when you have a history now in college and in the pros of lower body injuries, the worst thing you can do is gain weight because you're just mm-hmm. going to exacerbate those lower body injuries. And it, it would be different, like you said. I mean, it's, it's not just height. It's the style of play, too. If he was like more like Joel Embiid, who's, what, seven foot one or whatever, and you know, I bet Embiid weighs 280, 290 or, or whatever, or thereabouts. Um, but like Embiid is a below-the-rim... Uh, you know, a more more traditional type of center who does step out and hit threes and stuff. But, like, Zion is this, like, explosive above-the-rim player who is, like, all about those, like, like those high-flying explosive movements. If your legs are compromised, you're going to get injured playing the way he plays. So unless mm-hmm. he suddenly becomes a real traditional power forward, like Tim Duncan, who's hitting turnaround jumpers off the glass and that kind of stuff which he's not going to do, can put him at a disadvantage because he's only six foot six. Um, he needs to get himself down to, it's not like he's got to lose 30 pounds all at once. Like that's really fucking hard to do. Um, ask, right. ask me and you about losing a lot of weight. Um, it's, it just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, he could lose a lot of weight, but a, like 
the way that you would ideally like to do it would be slower so you're not losing strength so you're not losing um, any of the power that would come along with it like people could lose you hear those stories about people that lose 100 pounds in a year um, mm-hmm. and like obviously they needed to but like they're what besides fat they're also losing muscle tone with it just because of the way weight loss works um, you, you can't help right. but do that so it's not like Zion needs to lose 30 pounds you know in the next two months but like in the next two years, he needs to get himself down to more like the 250, 260 range. And even think two years after that, think about more like playing at about 240. And he would still be as big as most power forwards and probably way more explosive too. Oh God, without a doubt, man. And like, you got to think like when it comes to like just the overall, like this guy running, okay. Like when I run, there is no way that my legs and knees are hitting the ground with like the same kind of force as Zion Williams when he runs. And like, just like, think about just like all the jumping, all the, the, the pivoting, all these, like, just, you know, kind of not traditional body movements that come with the game of basketball, you know, getting tied up and trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, rotate your body out of it and stuff. Like when you have that kind of additional weight on there, like you're really, you're making it everything like a way more difficult for yourself. And like, in terms of like momentum and stuff, like, and I I hate to just like throw out a really stupid example here, but like, this could be like one of those stupid things where he just goes to rip a ball away and the momentum carries him and he twists a knee or some shit like that, you know, just because there's so, so much of them. Chum, that's not stupid. That's what happened to Duke when he twisted his knee, when he sprained his knee, he had so much momentum. He tore out of his shoes. Oh, is that what actually happened? Yeah. Okay. He tried to plant his shoe literally ripped apart and he twisted his knee. Oh, the shoot. Okay. That shoot. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. 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 No, like, yeah. And that right there, that's, you know, like it may be one hell of a thing to rip that ball out of somebody. Like I had no chance of keeping that ball in my possession, but is it really worth it when you're ripping yourself, when you're playing defense into an injury? Right. Exactly. I just don't think that, I don't think that it's worth it. No, it's not. Yeah. And, and you know what, this is also a bigger, um, I, like, I, I just, I know this just because like in the last few days reading some stuff about, about Zion situation in New Orleans, this is also like a bigger, this is definitely like a part, a portion of a bigger issue that he has with the Pelicans and you know, the, the way he fits in on the Pelicans team and the way his family is really guiding a lot of their decision-making with like how with how like they want him to be presented as a like they don't his family they don't care about the pelicans like i i they want to get out of new orleans as fast as they can um but yeah. like to me like this kind of so like that's just a bad situation and this also sort of like screams to me that like he needs to take a more active and response <clears throat> excuse me he needs to take a more active and responsible role in his role on the not only his health but his role with the pelicans it's very clear that other people are steering the ship for him oh without a doubt dude and like you got to think like if he continues down this path and doesn't have that active role that he needs is that going to put him in any better a position to join another team of course not like you know people are going to look at this guy and be like okay he's really big he's hurt all the time and if we're the new york knicks which is one of the teams that i heard that he wants to go mm-hmm. to go be with rj if the Knicks like are, you know, for real back and trying to put something together, that's not a guy that you're going to want on your team to 
good nope. to move forward. Nope. That'll just be like a, a circus attraction. Like, hey, we got the two stars from Duke. <laughs> we got Zion and RJ back, you know, yep. and then Zion's on the bench for 90% of the game. Or never playing because he's injured. It's just. <laughs> right. I mean, and like, and like the numbers are there. When he's playing, dude, he is dominant. Like, he is very, very good. But like you're talking, he's played something like 85 games over his three, you know, well, two plus seasons now. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's not good. <laughs> that's, that's not good at all. No. No, no, not a chance in hell, dude. And like, yeah, hopefully, like, I remember like, you know, seeing him when he was younger and stuff, you're like, okay, like this guy could really be something in the league. And he's setting himself up to not even really have that chance. Yeah. Uh, All right, Chum, how about your uh, blind NBA question? All right, so mine's a mine's a quick one here, and like I, you know, with the Cavs being really really good and stuff, I noticed that um, LeBron has made some comments about the team, like just very singing a lot of praise. He tweeted um, six days ago with some praise for Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, so LeBron's going to be he's nearing like retirement age and everything like that. You know, I'd probably say that he's got maybe four years or so in the league, which. Um, you know, over that's still like that's a 22 year, 20 that's plus ridiculous. year career in the NBA. That's a lot of freaking time. So, and like, you know, I could kind of see Evan Mobley being a real stud in, th- in three or four years. Like, do you see LeBron re- basically coming back to retire as a cab? Like, for just either it's one whole season, a half season, do you see him coming back to retire as a cab? I, I really think that it's a distinct possibility, especially if it's sort of like a trade. Where we bring them back mm-hmm. for like the stretch run when they when the Cavs are fine, you know, finally a not just a playoff contending team, but like per, you know perhaps a, a championship contending team. And I think yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go like the full the full boat here that you know let's let's just say uh, Bronny actually becomes you know I, I know he's I know Bronny's a pretty good high school basketball player, but like not mm-hmm. like I haven't heard you know there are there are any comparisons yeah. to his dad basically at this point which is right. probably right. very unfair uh in general but um you know like he's he's apparently a very solid high school basketball player and maybe becomes you know a good college player wouldn't it be one of those like fucking fantastic like storybook kind of things like Ken Griffey senior playing with his son if lebron got mm-hmm. to play with bronny junior in cleveland to finish things out I think that is a beautiful way to end a historic career. Like it's, it's so I, like me, I hope he does like the, the, whether he does or not. Yes or no is totally up in the air. I personally believe and hope that he does. And I got to tell you, like, as far as like the brand goes and him, like he's still regularly tweeting out support for the Cavs and the Browns and everything like that. Um, I think that it is just the perfect bow on this career to, you know, to do your time in LA, like every single superstar does like Rodman was on the Lakers at one point in time. So mm-hmm. like every superstar seems to end up there um, in some way, shape or form. He'll do his, um, his little stint with the Lakers. He comes back for one season, plays with the sun, who knows, maybe takes the Cavs to a championship and wins or and takes them to the playoff ends on a high note and just like that right there, I think is just that that's just the perfect way to end the career. I, I for sh- I, it would be it, it would be almost too perfect, but I think for sure whenever LeBron is done, we're gonna do one of those ceremonial, you know, he signs with the Cavs for the day and then retires, like yeah. officially. So he yes. like officially retires as a Cavalier, um, and like and if if they're still bad, then then that'll be like one of those like um, one of those like chances for the Cavs to have some good press and everything else. But yeah, like I right. I I don't I don't think there's. I don't think there's any way that that doesn't happen. And I think there's a strong chance that like he actually does the last team that he does actually play for would be the Cavaliers. 
I, I think so too. It's just it almost seems like you could. It almost seems like that is like the perfect Hollywood ending that the people at Bronze Studios are currently writing right now. Absolutely. Oh, and wouldn't and wouldn't that be the perfect Hollywood ending for the eventual biopic? Oh, you know it, dude. Oh, you fucking know that that's coming. It's going to be produced by produced by him, written by somebody that we don't even know. We haven't even heard about yet. Like it's going to be that's coming. For yep. Sure. Yep. Starring that lookalike sitting behind him uh, in the game the other day. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, usually when when stuff like that happens, um, be, when I read the headline, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. But that guy actually did look a little bit like he that. really did. My my favorite of those random lookalikes. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember Cliff Thompson? Uh, that was the I, meme, Cliff Thompson. Not, I don't think so. There is this dude. It's not striking any bells off. There is this dude. It's, it's Clay Thompson is standing there. There's like a call. There was like something. Something happened. It was in a playoff game a few years ago. Um, it might, it might have been. It might have been during their last. Um, the the Warriors' last like playoff run before like everyone got hurt. Um, and it's like Clay Thompson looking up at the at the board like some call or something. And like everyone's kind of looking up at the board. And there's a mm-hmm. dude in like the second row like right behind the the court seats there's a dude in the second row who looks exactly like clay thompson plus about 40 pounds and oh wow everyone everyone just started calling him cliff thompson wow like the haircut's the same and everything it's fucking bizarre he just looks like a big husky clay thompson uh yes he totally fucking does yep Oh my God. Yeah. Dude, Jesus Christ. That is amazing right there. Like usually like there's sometimes like, I remember um, this, uh, there was like this headline that came out about like DiCaprio and the killers of the flower moon, this new movie he's working mm-hmm. on. And like the headline was like, Leo looks unrecognizable in these photos and stuff. And like, I always associate like anybody time that somebody tells me somebody looks like something or somebody doesn't look like something, I have to question it. And of course, Leo looked exactly like he does, but with a different hairstyle, you know? So like some of these, I actually have to do, I have to look at who they're doing the comparison to before I buy into it. And, um, this LeBron and, um, Cliff Thompson thing are a hundred percent on point. Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only time I've ever gotten, I've ever like really like, it's very recent too. Like the so and so is unrecognizable is Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Uh, yeah. Jesus, like, I, I didn't even believe that. Like, I was just like, yeah, uh, that's this is a marketing ploy. And then, like, you can kind of hear it in his mm-hmm. voice. I was like, I was like, wow, oh no, that's him. Holy shit. Yeah, that is that is one of those transformations that is uh, that's astounding, astounding. Um, but anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> let's let's move on to. I'm just calling this wild card. Just kind of throwing out stuff, whatever. Um, Chem, I want you to rank the major sports: football, baseball, or football, MLB, NBA. We're going to include NHL and soccer in this in terms of watchability, in terms of TV watchability, and then rank them mm-hmm. in terms of in-person watchability. And football, I'm just considering NFL and college. I mean, there's not really okay. a huge difference in there presentation either way so um for the tv let's start with tv first how would you rank them in terms of their watch watchability okay so number one is football that production is world class and mm-hmm. it's only gotten better it's only going to continue to get better yep. and i don't even know what they're going to do because i right now think it's so fucking good like can I, there's can just... I tell you i'm, I'm just going to go along with you because i agree with that one right there 
Um, yeah. And I, what I really love is that if like now, and it's happened in the last couple of years, but now like when you're watching a game, uh, you get all of the over-unders, prop bets, um, mm-hmm. any kind of gambling information you want now is on the TV because of, you know, the lax in all the gambling laws recently. And plus right. all the fantasy information, like you don't have to watch another game to get all the information that you want from other games now. Yeah, I'm telling you, these guys like have it's like I, I was impressed with their broadcasting. Like when as soon as they had the camera that like hovered over the field that was on the, the strings and everything mm-hmm. that they when that was a new addition, I was like, my God, football, the, the production is just through the roof. Mm-hmm. Now it's like they've blown through like 10 roofs. And I just like, it's so good that like, there's somebody right now, probably as we're talking, sitting around thinking of ways to try to improve the football broadcast. And I'm just like, man, I don't even know what you're going to do, but whenever these guys are going to get an idea and I, and I'm going to think it's going to be the greatest fucking thing. Uh, we're, we're not, Chum, we're not far away from, from the, all of the, uh, all the, or not all of them, probably like two officials, probably the umpire and the referee, um, uh, wearing cameras as is part of the in-game mm-hmm. experience too or the on tv experience yeah dude like i would i would totally welcome that i love the new camera that makes everybody look like they're in a video game like i, I really like the, the just some of these shots that they get of people on the sideline going onto the field mm-hmm. i think those are fucking awesome and like even if you want to talk about just like not just like the type of cameras and all this stuff but like let's just you know getting it just the game in general okay like um as soon as like a play is completed. They just know which replay to go to right away. Everything seems to run so smoothly and mm-hmm. so seamlessly. And I mean, I, I don't know the details of like how many people are in the room putting everything together. Oh, it's a lot but now. It's a lot. <laughs> it, it's these a lot. people, it's masters of their craft at work. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they, you like just, there's this play that somebody threw an interception in one of the games that I watched over the weekend. I watched like three or four different games between the college and the pros. And there was an interception that was thrown. It might've been McNamara's um, final interception in the Michigan, Michigan state Mm -hmm. game. Like not to, you know, you're talking like play a little bit of celebration, you know, to acknowledge the fact that Michigan state has won the game. And then just like right into it, you're into like just replays of everything, slow motion replays and not just like, Hey, we got footage, but these are like the right replays to show, you know, like just somebody picking like the perfect shot. And I got it. I just, when in terms of the production wise, like NFL is by far and away, number one in in television watching. Agree with you. hundred percent agree with you. Uh, what, What are you ranking as number two then? Okay. Number two is going to be basketball. And um, the reason that I like basketball as far as an at-home viewership is because there's really – I'm trying to, like, do this without giving away too much into the other category. But, like, basketball, I don't, like, really need, like, all the kind of, like – the they do everything right is what I'm saying here. And that is they keep the focus where it needs to be. They've gotten more cameras. They've got, like, you know, the the camera above the rim and stuff. So in terms of the basketball production – I think that they have it on point because they capture what I feel is like necessary and they focus the game better on television than what you get in the live experience. Like when you watch the game live, there are certain areas of the court that you can see that it's just not as good a sight. You're not as wrapped up in the action. Things are hard to make out, but when you get it on TV, it focuses your attention on what you need to know what you need to see um, and keeps the action in frame, which I think really contributes to 
the, the basketball broadcast. And I, I'm going to tell you, like, dude, I haven't been to a like rocking playoff basketball game. A lot of the basketball games I go to are like during the season. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's the Lakers, if it was the Lakers when Jess and I saw them, they played the Cavs. So this was like two. It was a LeBronless Lakers going up against a not as good Cavs team, like uh, back in 2019 when we saw them. So. I've never really had the experience of like when basketball is at its best, but I will tell you like on television, they make it look how like every fucking game should be played like that. Like the level of intensity, the crowd wearing a lot of the same colors. Um, I, I just feel that like, that's like what they capture on television and especially in the playoffs is like what basketball is supposed to be. Yeah. I think, I think the NBA is one of those sports that is an appropriately, appropriately enhanced by tv but nothing like there's only so much you can do with it you know you're, you're only looking at the same there's only so many angles you can get on it uh, on the court you know what i mean like but like they do they do enhance the things that are necessary like it's great to have love having like the mics the mics on the rim so you can really hear the you can really hear dunks and hear misses and stuff like that love having yeah. um love having certain angles uh you know you, every now and then especially in the playoffs you get some like low angle shots of of like players running up and down the court. Like there's the the TV experience is like just enough to enhance it. Um, mm-hmm. However, I did have it ranked number three, not my number two. Okay, what was your number two? Baseball, MLB. Um, Baseball. Okay. It is. It's becoming a better and better TV experience. Um, we like watching like watching the playoffs, especially watching the playoffs this past year. Um, all of the bases have in have cameras in the in the bases now. Not not every single game, but the fact that they have the ability to do that, the fact that we have um, the ability to get these um, these shots now of you know the camera technology has caught up so well that like we can we can see like the actual spin of like a slider, like how it's t- how it's tilting, and we can see that like slowed down enough to really like catch how that pitch looks, and then. You have in the last couple of years. I love this that they can do this now. Um, they can break down like they can break down pitches with the pitch overlay. They do it real time, so you get to see like a glimpse of like what a hitter is looking at. Um, they they basically they take the pitching. Let's say a pitcher throws a fastball, slider, and a and, a, and like a big curveball. They do a pitch overlay, so like you see how the batter is seeing it out of the eye, and then you see mm-hmm. where the point where the pitches all diverge. And yes. It's one of those like touches that like it was very needed, to, especially to get people who are, you know, not that like experience. Maybe they didn't have, they never played baseball, um, you know, at, at, even at any level, um, or they're just not that well versed versed in baseball. Like the difficulty of like what hitting looks like to someone when you tell you know like you have less than a half second to determine what the pitch is, where the pitch is, and where to swing at it, and like literally like your like you're facing stuff that's moving faster than your human eye can actually process. And when you get that sort of like, that sort of like little graphic to show like exactly how difficult that is, it really kind of helps things sink in. And then I think the biggest, the real biggest thing is we now have a stat cast. So I know right away that like that monster home run that Jorge Soler hit in the world series last night. Yeah. They, they knew within two minutes that it went 446 feet at like 111 miles an hour off the bat. And like we, have that stat in every game instead of just like guessing as to how far something went. We know launch angle, velocity and projected distance. And that's like one of those things that people really love to see in a sport like baseball. We want to, you know, like it, it first, like one of the first big things was like having the radar gun on screen. Mm-hmm. So we knew how fast oh, pitchers yeah. were throwing. 
So now we have the exact, you know, the the hitter version of that. We know how how hard hitters are hitting the ball now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like all that kind of stuff, especially with the baseball crowd that's like very um, stat happy and everything. All those kinds of numbers and everything, even for people like myself, like I love that shit. It's just cool information to know, you know, like it's just something that I eventually would want to know that throughout the course of my thought process. And they're just giving it to you right then and there. Yep. I I love and like all the additional cameras that have been set up, especially the ones in the bases. Just another really cool angle to get. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like one of those things like you're not going to get the. um you know, if somebody's safe or out, you're not going to get that camera angle of it, but it's still, it's another really cool, just angle of somebody sliding into like second or whatever. It's still mm-hmm. a cool shot to get. And, um, it, what it does is it brings the audience into the game more, which, uh, well, that was one of the things that I think baseball kind of suffers with, you know, like in, in terms of television is just like the ability to actually bring people into the game. And those get you right up into the action. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, how about your how about your number uh, your number three? Okay, so my number three, um, I went with the NHL, and like um, I personally think that hockey is just the way that hockey is played, like the, the actual game itself. It's we're just like looking at football on ice here, you know. And um, Hulu is giving uh, people NHL games and stuff now, which is pretty cool. So mm-hmm. I managed to check out like uh, some footage of one just to kind of see what the, the improvements have been. And there's just been a lot of fucking improvements since I was a kid. Like, I'll tell you, they weren't doing that blue hockey puck thing anymore. Like, I, I remember thinking that was really cool when it came out to have the, the blue circle around the hockey puck. They don't do that anymore. Oh, they haven't and, done like, that in a long time. I, yeah, like I, yeah, I just, dude, I haven't, that just shows you how out of touch I am with hockey broadcasting. Like, I have not, like, that was like a thing, you know, like, that I, that just sticks out in my mind. And um, having, like, you know, just not having that element, it just, I could follow the puck. That is not a goddamn problem. The game being so fast paced, I think, translate very, I think it translate very, translates very, very well to television. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, no, I gotcha. Um, I, you know, like, the the reason why they, they did the glowing puck um, is because that was before high-definition television. Um, go back right. and watch hockey highlights from pre-HD TV and tell me where the puck is. Like, it's... Oh, yeah. You basically just, yeah. like, you're just kind of assuming it's by the mass of people. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of the assumption. Like, before HD and, like before like they could you know easily sneak cameras like right along the boards or like right above the goal and everything else um it was just it was a really difficult sport to watch on tv and i think it's it's obviously significantly better i still have it ranked as my number four um but it's more i'll I'll explain why when i get into the next part basically okay gotcha gotcha what is your number three i already said nba Oh, NBA. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Gotcha. How how about uh, about your number four? Okay. This is where I have baseball. And it's like one of my main reasons for putting baseball here on the list is just like the way it's just the pace of the game. Like I know, I know that's baseball. I, I know, I totally know that it's baseball, but I am just in way more of a camp of going to the games and while the broadcast has been improved and they've made a lot of improvements in terms of the, the cameras and the, the numbers and, the, and like all the stats that are provided, I just think that it's 
hockey and the pacing is just a little bit better crafted for television. Uh, yes, yes, I w- I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Well, I'll, I'll get into that actually um, a, a little bit more too in the next in the next one. I don't disagree with that at all though. Um, how about uh, okay. how about your uh, so soccer here is on the last on the list then? Yeah, and like man, unless it's like the World Cup or something, soccer is just like on television, man, it's just, it's just not really something that I get super, super excited Mm -hmm. about. And this primarily is because of the pace of the game and the game itself and everything. But man, when you're just like, you could go through a lot of the game and like nobody scores and you're just like kind of just watching people like kick the ball up and down this huge, massive field. It's, I just feel that like in terms of television, that is like one of the least friendly television sports, even though I know it's popular all over the world. Right. And I'm, I'm with you here. This is also where I put soccer. I don't really have, I never, I've never had a problem with the pace of how sports are played, but the problem with soccer on TV is that it feels a lot like background, background music. Um, Mm -hmm. you can kind of go do something else and the game itself will tell you when to pay attention. You'll hear the crowd pick up, um, in excitement. You'll hear the announcers pick up in excitement and that's when you can go pay attention because clearly like something's happening or something's about to happen. Um, another thing that sort of, you know, granted the, the last, I haven't watched soccer. I haven't like sat down and watched a complete soccer match in like two years. Um, but like the last one I did watch, I watched part of, it was part of the Euros recently, uh, last year, the, the delayed Euro championships. Um, I watched part of, I can't remember what game I was watching, but I was watching part of it. There, some of the things that make football and baseball and everything else great, there are, other than like who someone's played for, um, you know, the, the minutes that they've racked up, maybe the, some of their stats, there's nothing on screen that like interests me. So like, Someone will make mm-hmm. like someone will like drop a dime pass, or someone will like hit like rip a good shot or something, and like I don't right right away get what was the miles per hour on that shot, what was the angle of break on this on this uh, ball this guy bent, how far did this pass go across the field? I don't get any of that. Um, maybe that's right. a thing now, in, in so, like I don't know though for sure. So I could be talking like way out of out of uh, out of hat here, but like um, like I don't those aren't like stats that I've seen. In a, in an MLS game or an EPL game or like in a Euro in like a Euro game. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that either. If you are getting stuff like that, it's usually after the fact, like on a sports analysis type show or something. But yeah, I don't think you're getting that in the game. And dude, you make a good point about um, it being background music. And yeah, that's that's kind of like the vibe that I get sometimes. Like that is something that you could I could probably write. I could write comfortably and um, have soccer on in the background because the crowd tells you when to pay attention. And a lot of the time uh, the crowd's wrong because there's no scoring and it's just like, (laughs) Hey, we moved the ball by the goal. So everybody get ready, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, if if they score, the place goes fucking apeshit. And I wish I was there and and I'm seeing it. I'm just like, my God, I wish I could get as happy as these people do. But, um, uh, it's just not it's just not happening for me like that. You know, I think that there's still there's still like just not a lot happening in soccer to really hold my attention. No, it, it, it never I have no problem with the sport itself. And it's actually it's like fun to just like kick around and play with the soccer ball. 
with like your friends. Oh yeah. But, like I, it's just ne- it's never it'll never hold my attention that way. Um, and this is coming from someone who played soccer for a long time. Because playing soccer yeah, is fun. Yeah. Like I just like I don't want to watch it. Oh yeah, dude, it's fun as hell. Like it's actually very fun and very easy to play and stuff like that. Like it's great. Yeah. But when you start to get it on the field or on the television, it's just like it could just be it could just be really 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 boring sometimes. Yeah, it, absolutely. All right, so uh, how about how about the in person experience? Uh, you want to you want to start off there? Yeah, yeah. So I'll start off there. I'm going to start off in the exact same place as the other category in football and like. The um, the in-person experience, dude, if you're going for the whole thing, the whole enchilada tailgating and it's just being in like a really cool part of the stadium or even in the not so cool part of the stadium, I still really enjoy the football viewing or in-person experience. And like one thing which it doesn't happen, you know, every single play and stuff like that. But a cool part about being at a football game compared to seeing it on TV is watching like a really cool big play, like evolve in front of you, you know, where like all of a sudden you're just like, notice that somebody's open way downfield and stuff like you just, because you're seeing the whole field right in front of you like that. It's really awesome to kind of see like plays like that unfold live. Um, I will, I'm not doubting, and I said it before the television wise is through the roof. Um, but, and a lot of my reasoning to put this at the top is just, it's a lot of like, you know, nostalgia. And it's just like, I think the whole experience of tailgating and everything like that in football is just, it's classic. And it's it's such an awesome experience. I will say this, that has nothing to do with watchability, but I understand. (laughs) Um, however, football is dead last for me. Um, Okay. Absolute dead last. Um, if you're sitting in the wrong seats, good luck watching that play unfold. If you're too close to the field and too low, you can't see plays open up. My um, yeah. My 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 grandfather had seats for a long time. So like when the new stadium opened, um, he was able to get like he, he had like his first choice of season tickets, and my family still mm-hmm. has them. They're on the 45 yard line, first row behind the Browns bench. Um, oh, so, <laughs> unless a play happens directly in front of you, you can't see what's happening. So you have to watch yeah. TV to do that, which I can do yeah. from home. Um, no, the definitely. massive downtime with commercial breaks and TV timeouts and timeouts at the stadium where you're just standing around watching them stand there is awful. It's an awful viewing experience to watch guys, to watch the little guy with the orange oven mitts come out, signal that we're going to take a TV timeout. And then we just stand around for the next three minutes. Um, those things like really go to spoil like the pace of a game and it's the it's literally the only sport that has that in it baked in i know the nba has some stoppages too but that's the only sport that has that baked in where you have like long unnecessary stoppages no i dude i totally got you on the stoppages thing is really fucking annoying seats wise i've never been in the position with the front row seats for that specific reason so i i've never had the I've never been robbed of this like the the game viewing experience because I'm sitting in the front row like the um the last probably like ten Browns games that I went to at the at in Cleveland were between um fifty yard line like ten rows up so I had like the perfect like the view where the the people start to cut off and you can start to see the stadium or start to see the field mm-hmm. and then um my other buddy his company tickets which have been there forever 
our um, 50 yard line, the upper deck, but it's like that first couple rows in the upper deck. Like, they, yeah, they my, were, my cousin like, had seats up there. They're great. They're great seats. Yeah. Those were amazing. So like my, my football, like experience that that's like what I'm working on here. You know, like I, I've yet to actually sit in one of those seats where you can't see. It's, well, it's, it's and, not even um, front row. If you're in the lower bowl and you're too any stadium, you're in the lower bowl and you're too off. You're too far off in one corner. One corner of the field is going to be almost invisible for you. Yes, that is true. Yes, yes, you bet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, like, I'm thanking God that, um, like, number one, that I've lucked out and the, the, the two places that I've sat were all season ticket holders that have had them forever. And I'm very lucky that my one friend took advantage of the Google seat view for the Browns Rams games. Cause we had like where we were, we were like, you know, kind of in the back of one of the end zones in the corner. We had a full view of the whole field. It was great. Yeah. Those like, it's the, it's the one sport where I'm like, how far away can I be? <laughs> like, cause that's, that's much more, that's much more, um, you're right. Like I enjoy seeing the plays open up, and I enjoy seeing the plays almost from like that sort of skybox. You like I would rather rather sit farther away than than closer. Yeah, that's like one of the few few sporting events where the sitting farther away I think puts you at a much bigger advantage and much more in terms of watchability yeah. than um, anywhere else. Yeah. And also, if I can get into some other complaints here, like I don't enjoy paying ten dollars per beer. Um, $11 for a fucking handful of nachos that tastes like dog shit. Um, that, that, that part of the experience is, is awful too. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things that I'm like, ah, like this is what we're paying for, huh? I could do this for much less at home and get all my fantasy stats and all my gambling stats too. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. And unfortunately the, the alcohol prices are going up everywhere, dude. Like in, in LA, the Staples Center is the cheapest places to get drinks at. And you're even looking at 12 bucks for a 16 ounce can. And, uh, yeah. So like, yeah, unfortunately the drink at like food wise, unless I am loaded, smashed and absolutely need to eat, that's really the only time I'm taking advantage of any football stadium food whatsoever. Like baseball stadiums, they give you like cool local stuff, you know, that you really, that some places you can't get anywhere else or some restaurants do specifically for the stadium. But like, yeah, I'm not much of an eater inside the, uh, the stadium. Like I'm really only having like a couple of, just like a couple of drinks. Most of the partying is done in the lot beforehand. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Um, which, yeah, yeah, I, I do enjoy the tailgate experience, but like, man, watching, watching football in the stadium is just, I don't know. And then let's add to it. There's always, for some reason, whenever I go to a football game, there's always someone who ruins the experience nearby. Um, yeah. someone who has to shout something, some racial epithet at players, uh, someone who I have to hear talk the entire time who doesn't actually know anything about the sport, which is annoying. It just seems like that's part of my experience every time I go to a football game. Yeah, I've had a couple of those. It's been, um, those aren't enjoyable to say the least. Uh, the last time was at a, we saw the Browns play the Lions and this was like, 2008 like in that time period like not not after 2010 prior to 2010 and it was just it's pretty obnoxious like yeah i will say that that really does get old and of course wheeler got in a fight with them and gotten arrested and everything which ruined our a lot of our post-game experience to say the least <laughs> but um uh yeah like i for me for the most part i 
that's like the one time that sticks out in my mind. I've been pretty lucky um, in terms of avoiding that kind of stuff, mostly because like, like I said, where the season tickets were for a lot of the games I were at, these were people that had had them forever. So like when you go there, like eventually like people started to know who I was just from going and sitting in the seat. Right. Like the same people all the time. Right. I got you. All right. So what's your, uh, what's your number two, your in-person watchability? Oh, this is baseball all the fucking way. Um, I think baseball is so much better to see in person. Mm -hmm. Um, it is just a complete, this is like one of these like atmosphere things. This is all like everything that they tell you on the radio and all these nostalgia commercials, like, Hey, take your kid down to the ballpark and all this shit. It really comes to life to life in a baseball game and everything. And, um, I, I feel that I'm way more like just drawn into the game when I'm there live. Like I don't need to see like, you know, the, I love the camera view of the pitchers mounted up against the batter, but you know, like I'm kind of cool with like, making a trade-off for that to see the game in person. I think it's really cool to just turn your head and all of a sudden, like, you know, you see the ball fly up in the air and it's either going out of the stadium or somebody's going to catch it. And all like the uh, being in the crowd when, you know, there's that intensity in those moments where people like, um, you know, people are wondering if the ball is going to be caught or if it's going to be hit out of the park or not. I really Mm -hmm. enjoy that about the game. I, I like how you put it. Like, it's a very different game. Uh, in person and actually the baseball is my number one uh for in-person watchability that like when you get the when you're sitting there and you really get a feel for like because like tv robs you of that depth of what you know how big the field is the distances and things um when you sit there you actually get to see the depth like the distance between how close a pitcher is to the batter how far away like a center fielder is like the distances when a third baseman, you know, has to make a stop, he has to make a quick stop and throw from third to, to first, like how far away that is. Like mm-hmm. you get a much better feel for like, holy shit, this is this game looks like it shouldn't really be possible. Like yeah. it just feels like you know, like someone when someone crushes a, like a long home run on TV, it's really exciting. Love to see the stats and everything. I would have loved to seen uh, Bradley Zimmer this year hit a home run that went like four hundred and seventy four feet to center. Like it went, it cleared the like it cleared Monument Park in center field. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen what that ball looked like in person, like to yeah. see the you know to really see like the flight path and like it, there's got to be a like a quick second there where you're like holy shit, and then you really see it and you're like holy shit, that part of the stadium I just walked over there that is very far away, like right that's right. very far away from where he was standing, and you don't really you lose a lot of that depth when you're watching it on TV. Yeah, there there is just something about the the you're right, like the grandeur of the field and the park and stuff that just enhances the the game. And like, there are times where like you could be sitting in a somewhere in the stadium and just like every ball looks like it's going to be hit out of the park until it's either caught or hit out of the park and stuff. And mm. that I don't know, it's just those like little stupid moments of subterfuge that um I think are really cool and kind of add something more to the experience. Because like in the in TV like. I almost feel that like as soon as they cut away from the batter, you know, like it just there are very, very few times where I'm watching it and I'm just like, yeah, I thought that ball was out. You know, like it just it just doesn't seem to hit me like that. But when you're in the park, almost every single ball seems like it could go every every like hit to the outfield ball seems like it could, could leave the park until it does or doesn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I got gotcha. you. Um, I'll, I'll uh, bring it up here. My number two is the NHL. And 
this is more i've actually i've never been to an nhl game this has more to do with um all the college hockey i watched at a you know at a legitimate at a legitimate like college hockey school and mm-hmm. really what it, it, it it's something it's very similar to, the, to to baseball why i'm putting it here like it is a very different sport when you're watching it up close um you you already like you already get a feel for like how fast and chaotic it is on tv when you get a chance to sit down, like especially if you're like in a seat near the goal, um, mm-hmm. you realize how quickly these very, very large men are moving at you and at each other. And then, like when they get into like a scrum for the puck, it is like it is just like watching. It is like watching chaos unfold in front of you. It's it's a very, it's a very different and much more lively sport when you're there watching it live, even if you don't have. It's one of those sports again. You can kind of get like blocked a little bit by the seats, depending on like how close or far away you are. But like, yeah, it is definitely a different experience being up close and like being able to literally feel feel the speed of players moving by, feel like see like how fast the puck whips across the ice. It's just it's a much better. It's a sport that really really benefits from people being there and seeing it. No, I dude, I understand what you're saying on this. Like I. I have NHL in a little bit of a different category just in terms, just based off of my own one game experience and stuff. But um, like if you get in the right seat, like you're golden in terms of hockey, like that is like some of the best in, in person watching that you could possibly get, you know, and it's a way you're right. It's like a way, way different experience in terms of like watching it on TV. And I love all the, the cool sounds and all the stuff that you like wouldn't normally get with um, the television broadcast. Like somebody getting checked up against the glass is just like louder and like looks way more brutal in person than it does on television, especially mm-hmm. like when you, when you could see like, like that stuff. So um, I could, I could definitely understand like, um, like everything that you're saying here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, it's much more experiential than like the experience of a, of a hockey game, be it NHL or college. If you went to a place that had like a really good college team, um, it, it's, it just like is a totally different experience than watching, watching an NHL game on TV, which is totally fine, but it's just, it's that much better in person. And it like it, the, the experience is that much better. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. How about uh, your number three? Okay. So number three is something that I haven't personally experienced. I'm going just by strictly what I see on television. And I feel that this is a fair place to put this is, which is soccer here. And mm-hmm. now that is a whole different fucking experience compared to TV to going, um, to going to the games. Like just like from what I even see, just like out of the interactions of the crowd, like that looks way more fun mm-hmm. than sitting in your apartment watching soccer. Like I don't care if you're everybody's moving a giant banner all around the field all game or, you know, waving scarves in the air. That shit looks like fucking fun. And I have a feeling that if I were to be in the audience with all that stuff going on, that the watchability of soccer would just go up through the roof. Kind of yeah. like one of these like – um you know, like almost like a soccer hysteria, almost everybody else is getting into it. So you have no choice. And I just feel that like, because of the crowd and the way that crowds are, that that is just going to elevate the soccer viewing experience astronomically. And for that, I felt it was a safe assumption to put it as number three on the list. I, I, I put it number four for the same reasons that like, this is again, something that's much more experiential um, mm-hmm. than pure watchability. But also, like, you know, because you are going to get caught up in the atmosphere, especially if it's, like, a rowdy... Like, I think it would be a fun thing to go to, like, um, 
you know, to go to like the Manchester Derby and see Manchester United and uh, Manchester City play each other in front of like a really like into it and borderline hostile crowd. Like it would be very mm-hmm. fun to be a part of that atmosphere. But again, like it's one of those things I kind of mentioned, like you don't really, since we're not getting like stats on things like passes and like shot speed and, you know, like, you know, like in, in baseball, like they have like a catch probability, uh, you know, for like those hard, those hard outfield catches or whatever. They'll have catch probability. Like I, I haven't seen a save probability on like a, you know, like a hard shot that a goalie saved. Um, but I can go, I could, I feel like seeing it up close, like watching a goalie, you know, make that, like you basically kind of have to guess. Like you just have to go like, well, I'm either going left or right and I'm either going up or down. And I just kind of have to hope that like it's, it's going in that direction that I'm moving. But like it would be, mm-hmm. it would definitely be more interesting to see like a world class goalie and a world class striker like match up on like penalty kicks to see like you, you get you finally get to see firsthand like how fast the ball's coming, the distance that they have to cover, like all that kind of stuff that like you lose on TV. Seeing it in mm-hmm. person would be interesting, or seeing some of those long like cross field passes to really get a feel for like holy shit that dude with his foot passed the ball between four people and put it on this other guy's foot from like fifty yards away. Like that's yeah. that's something you have to see in person to really get a feel for like just how impressive it is. Yeah, and like I we're gonna get to one of the we're either gonna see LAFC or the Galaxy one of these days coming up here pretty soon. And like I'm just very excited to like watch this live and like to see the athleticism that goes into the sport and stuff like that, to see it like in person and everything, because it's yeah. just gonna look way more intense live than it would on television. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that was your number three, correct? That was my number three, correct. All right. Um, I'll NBA was my number three, so it sits at number three in both of mine. I, I feel like I feel like the things that you get from an NBA experience, like there's something very fun, especially like, especially if you happen to be in a state in a, an arena that's not terribly crowded. Hearing all the conversation on the court, hearing hearing how they call out plays, hearing how they signal each other, hearing the coaches yell at each other. Like there's like an, it's almost like it's an audio thing that you lose on TV that you gain by watching it in person. Like you can just sort of like, you could almost like, especially if you're sitting close enough, you could almost like follow along with like what they're calling out as it's happening. And I just think that's like an interesting and unique, unique thing that most sports don't have. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. The um, out of my basketball going experiences, I've watched a couple of games from like really, really close, like whether it be like in the lower bowl or like maybe a first couple row on the next section up that audio element does really it does add a whole new level to the game and stuff like I even love listening to all the shoes squeak on the floor and Mm -hmm. everything. It feels it just feels like a lot more of like you know, like a game I used to play and stuff. So like yeah. when you, when you do sit up close and everything, it, it uh, takes you into the game, I think in a way that um, you're not getting in any of the, you're definitely not getting in football. You know, you're really like in there and stuff. Yeah. Like I remember, I just remember going to a game during LeBron's first tour of duty, um, sitting up close and like just hearing them, like just hearing them, like, you know, after like they're posting each other up, just hearing after like the plays, you know, after a shot goes up, the plays essentially over, like, just hearing them like get the fuck off me like get like what are you like hearing that it's just sort of like you just don't you really don't get that from the other sports necessarily right yeah not a fucking chance dude you're not getting that yeah you're not getting that in any of them basically yeah in football not a chance uh how about your number four 
Okay, so my number four, this is where I went with hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going off of my one experience and where we were in the stadium, we were like, it was great to like go to a game and to like be around the other fans and stuff like the the fan element of it really, really made the hockey experience for us. But in terms of watchability where we were, we weren't necessarily in like the best place for all of the, to really absorb the action. Like we were in the, last or second to last row of the staple center in one of the corners mm-hmm. so the where we were we really had like a a sort of isolated view in terms right. of like the overall thing so um i had been to like I've been to like a just only like a handful of like lumberjacks games and i, I think i only went i went to those before they got the beaver logo and it was still at the coliseum like i don't even think i've seen one in the queue so my uh, a lot of my hockey experience is limited in terms of like in-person right. watchability so that's that's kind of where i ended up the way i did on the list. yeah i got you your seats would have been better in the same way that like sitting high for someone who knows a lot about fo- football sitting up high mm-hmm. would be much more would be much more interesting for someone who knows a lot about hockey to see the plays yeah. open up and the ice open up and everything else Whereas, like, I would recommend if you if you ever get the chance to sit like right next to the goal on the boards, like mm-hmm. that's fun because it's something you've never experienced before to watch dudes get like literally go zipping like just zooming by you that close, get you know get plowed into the boards that close to you. It's just like holy shit, they're like a foot away from me destroying each other. Right, right, dude. I totally got you on that one. Yeah, and like that's something like we're gonna be, you know, we're gonna be doing like a lot more of the Kings games and stuff. Like that was like a really cool, different thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I left there with nothing but positive things to say. And it's like one of those things where it's like I want to go back to experience more of these things, different seats, different games, like all that. They yeah. were playing Columbus, so we went. So, but it was it was really it was a fun time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I already mentioned soccer was my, my number four. So what's your, your last one here is the NBA. The last one here is the NBA, man. And I'll tell you, like in my Cavs going career, I, like I said, I've sat down in the lower bowl and, um, or in like the area, like, you know, kind of closer in the, the second highest row of seats. I've only done it twice. Mm. So, um, some of the audio, like when I was there for that, it was awesome. Every other like Cavs game that I've been to, a lot of them took place when the Cavs were bad. <laughs> so like we're kind of there. I was kind of there just like with my friends as like kids and like it's even just like people not even really being like super into the game, just there to like kind of like drink and watch something, you know? Yeah. So yeah. my NBA experiences in general have not been as like super exciting as some of my other um, experiences go and like when I describe when I get into like some elements of like actual watchability when the Cavs were bad that was just fucking awful to watch dude and, like when you're <laughs> watching a lot of these games from up high like even like like the loud bill section which is just that one section up top that's like specifically placed in like the center of the um of the upper deck like yeah that that's like okay because you can kind of see like a lot you know you could see a lot of the action like the whole court and everything but if you're like up in like one of the corners and if you're like in like one of the last couple of rows number one the seats are not all that comfortable and the leg room gets less and less and less as you get up there so it's just like my six foot four ass like sitting in like one of these really small seats 
watching really crappy basketball. Like it almost feels like with the rafters and all the other stuff, it like condenses your view, you know, like, cause you have something. And I know like it's still a lot of feet above you, but the way that some of these things look in terms of the stadium, it just kind of gives you an even more limited view on the top. So that's just kind of my thing with it. Like I, yeah. I, I feel that <clears throat> basketball in certain areas of the stadium is absolutely amazing and it's a world-class viewing experience. But like if you're in certain parts of the stadium, like it's kind of just like, okay, they clearly put these seats in there cause they had room. No one gave a <laughs> shit about the actual experience. Yeah. I don't, I do not disagree with you at all for putting the NBA last for those reasons. Um, do not disagree with you at all. I used to, um, my dad used to have season tickets. Like he used to split a block with some people, uh, that he taught with. So we used to go to probably like 10, you know, eight to 10 games a year, roughly speaking. And like, Mm -hmm. this was like at the tail end, this is the tail end of them of like the, you know, you're getting back, like tail end of the early nineties teams that were pretty, that were still pretty good. Then leading into the, then leading into the mid to late nineties teams that weren't so good. Um, so like, it was interesting to watch. It was still interesting to watch from like a, a higher, like we're like first row of like the upper of the upper bowl, like sitting like right at the corner. So like when good basketball was getting played, it was like a good spot to sit to watch like the passes open up and the floor open up. But then like when it was <laughs> when we lost, when basically all the good players then were gone and we had to like deal with um, uh, who was like Brevin Knight would have been one of our like best players. Yeah. Um, Bobby Sura, Bobby Sura, yeah. yeah, like that that period, like. The only reason really to watch was because, like, I, you know, like, Allen Iverson was in town. So let's watch Allen yeah. Iverson cut apart the Cavs. Otherwise, like, who cares? Yeah. Sitting close, though, it, it definitely opens up this whole different, this whole different vibe. I bet sitting up close for a Lakers game to hear all the celebrities, see all the celebrities and hear them fucking shout at, like, players as they go by, mm-hmm. that probably would be one of the most fun things you can do in, in on a basketball court uh, as, a, as a fan. Oh. Without a doubt, dude. And let me ask you a quick question. With, you, with the season tickets you guys had, did you have them at the Coliseum first and they carried over into the queue? Or did you guys, or did your, dad, your parents get them um, when they were Just when the, when the queue, when the queue first opened. Okay, gotcha. Okay, because that's it's what like, I was It's like 93, 94, whatever it was. Yeah, to have some of the season tickets to some of those uh, Coliseum years, the last couple of years would have been fucking awesome. I know, I know. Like, Unfortunately, I, yeah, did not did not get any of those. I re- weirdly like so the Coliseum. When did they tear it down? Was it two thousand four? It it was up for a while yeah. after they left. I know that for sure. Um, because I had someone that I went to college with had like did like an internship for a company that like because like they didn't just like shutter it and like keep it closed. There were like offices in there. And he had to like yeah. a couple times a week go to Richfield to work in the inside the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. That must have, number one, as an empty place, I'm sure there was a level of creepiness, but also yeah. that would have been fucking awesome to see yeah, that place. really empty. would have been. That place was, that place was, I remember going to one of the playoff games in, I want to say like 90, might have been 1990 or 91. I was like eight, I was like eight, somewhere between seven and nine. Um, and yeah. like that place was fucking nuts. That place was oh, a legitimate yeah. arena. That place was crazy. Yeah, dude, my my dad knew Terry Pluto. Uh, I think they grew up together or something like that. So Terry Pluto uh, hooked us up with like Cavs tickets a couple times. And one of the times was like, you know, just kind of like being up in like you kind of being up in the upper deck or whatever. But one time 
he which is the other time only two times that he did it he gave us lower bowl bulls versus Cavs tickets Ooh, so nice. like it's me me my dad and my sister and like it, this is like scotty pippen and jordan coming to town and everything like that like it was fucking awesome it wasn't the shots i wish i was but um, just <laughs> you know just so i could have gone to that game but um it was really cool. And like, you know, t- Terry was like, you know, telling us like to go where to go to get autographs and stuff. So, uh, the only Cavaliers autograph that I managed to get in my entire life was, uh, Jay Gittinger. He was like this role player. The Cavs flew in for a couple of years in the mid nineties. <laughs> no my... <laughs> yeah. He t- like Terry gave us, um, the presses, like the packet of information that goes to the press that yeah, has like yeah, the press all packet, the players yeah. brief mm-hmm. his, the press packet. Thank you. He gave each, my sister and I pre- like copies of the Cavs press packets for that day. And we got those signed by, um, you know, a couple by Jay Gittinger as he was leaving. The, That's cool. The, the, Dude, the, those, the those, press packets, <laughs> those press packets in and of themselves are really interesting. They're like little pieces of memorabilia. Oh yeah, dude, this thing was huge too. I mean, we're talking like thirty oh, yeah. something pages, like clipped and everything. Like I was like, wow, like this is it was very impressive. Oh yeah, imagine like a no joke. Imagine like working for, um, uh, be it for like a you know, be it for the Guardians or even just in Major League Baseball in some capacity. You probably have like hundreds of these things, just like yeah, just sitting on like. And there's probably people that not pay a lot of money for it, but I bet there's people who pay twenty, thirty bucks for some of these like game packets that are. Some of them are probably really valuable. Like, I guarantee you someone has, like, the game pack for the last game that, like, Ted Williams played in or something. I bet that thing's worth mm-hmm. a lot of money. Oh, without a doubt, man. Like, the especially all that weird nuanced memorabilia. Mm-hmm. People love that shit. Yeah. Uh, Chema, how about you pop me your wild card question? All right. So this is very, very wild cardy and very, very much in the world of sports. We're going to shift away from the professional sports and we're going to focus on something that you and I have been a part of, and that is high school football in Ohio. Nice. And I do not know if you knew about this, but recently um, the OSHAA expanded the playoffs to include 16 teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I went through everything, and I'm going to, here's where we're going at here. When I was playing, it was eight teams, okay? When, like, Nordonia got in to play Walsh, we were the number eight seed mm-hmm. the one year that we went to the playoffs that year, okay? So there was eight teams back then in 1999 when we had this game. There are 16 teams now. There are 16 teams in each region that make it into the playoffs now. This year, the state of Ohio had 448 teams in the playoffs okay in in 28 regions i know okay 28 fucking regions and out of these 448 teams 77 77 schools had losing records yeah okay i i I went through it all i counted i counted them give this give or take one or two here 77 teams including a four and six John Hay, which Nordonia whomped last Friday, and a division, a, a region of four team called Cincinnati Oak Hills that went zero and ten and <laughs> made it into the playoffs. Yeah. So the question is, did the OSHAA go too far with this expansion? Uh, yeah. I, I, I okay. Yes, because I think. Do they not do does 
the OHSAA, do they not, for basketball, isn't every team in the tournament? Every team is, yes, it's it's and, weird how they do it. And how does yeah, that turn out team, for the teams that won one game? Uh, they're usually gone <laughs> really, really, really early. And like, so Nerdonia this year went eight and two, I believe. So mm-hmm. like this, you know, it was a good year for them and everything. Um, not like the best year, but um, they, they went eight and two. Uh, really weird schedule, I might add, since it was, since I played there and stuff it's like all new like twinsburg and mayfield are like the only two teams that they um that they consistently play everything else is like they've changed they've changed leagues like three different times since not even not even since we left they've changed leagues like three different times in the last like decade so it's probably been they probably changed even more since we graduated I definitely do. Yeah. And I remember like all the talk of the super conference, like all, there's all this crazy shit that's been going on with high school football since we've been there. And this, when I first heard the 16 team expansion, okay, I'm going to basically describe you how I heard about this. I heard about it in an article that um, said, Hey, yeah, they're going to expand to 16 teams. And I was like, Oh, wow, this might be interesting. Like, you know, Ohio high school football, like, you know, there's probably a lot of good teams or at least, you know, teams that are able to make the playoffs have winning records. The next paragraph was talking about how the Cincinnati Oak Hills team went 0 and 10 and still made the playoffs. And like, I just don't get it. Like there is, they, there's a lot of things wrong. Just number one, there shouldn't be that many teams, 448 teams throughout 28 regions. Like Ohio's not that big, (laughs) you know, like there's no reason to even open up the playoffs to that many teams. Mm -mm. But like, I like they have outright like cheapened the fuck out of high school football playoffs by this expansion. And like if an Owen 10 team could get in, but they, I don't know, maybe they have a good quarterback or they have two really good offensive linemen or so whatever the hell that even gets them to the ability to be ranked. It's wrong. It's just so fucking wrong. These Like if you want to do warm up games for teams in the playoff, cut it down to like 12 or something like that. I don't know how, like this is just a goddamn mess to me. I'm completely agitated that they even did this stuff and like yeah is it cool that john hay made the playoffs not really because they were four and six like what does that team get out of that it's almost like psychological it's almost like a a subtextual fuck you to shitty schools than it is giving them the opportunity to play in the playoffs yeah like they're they're just gonna go get smoked um because clearly they got smoked in the regular season by other teams so like I don't I don't know yeah. how that would change. Like the only thing that you could kind of pin your hopes on was like maybe the, like maybe there was a school that had like, you know, a, a stud quarterback who got hurt and they're back mm-hmm. for the stretch run and like they they literally make a you know, they make a run because you know that kid's available. But that's like a right. that is like literally that's like what like one one out of 1000 like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not something that's going to be like a regular storyline. Um right. It's like I would feel bad for the O and ten kid. Not I don't want to say bad for him, but I would just feel like if I was one of those kids on on a team that went O and ten, and then ha- like I would almost feel like oh I have to go to the playoffs. Like right, Wait. we're just gonna get embarrassed again. Like we couldn't win a game in the regular season. Now we presumably have to go play an even better team that we just faced that we faced all year long. So right, what's gonna happen to us? We're just gonna lose again. I would I would feel annoyed yeah, and- if I was one of those kids. Oh, it, dude, it's it's fucking annoying. It's degrading. It's insulting. It's like and this is Cincinnati Oak Hills. So like 
I, I can't remember who they played, but one would be safe to assume that they're either playing Mueller or Xavier in the <laughs> right. first game. And they're going to get they're gonna, swamped. They're going to get trucked by that team. So I like this is something that just totally took me by surprise. I think it's ridiculous. And like, if there's any idea, like Nerdonia, when we went to the playoffs, we had Spizak, Deontay, uh, Mike Hoyer, Mike Campbell. Uh, so between those two, there's uh, two Division One college scholarships right there. Hoyer went to Toledo mm-hmm. and Deontay went to Purdue. Spizak was a stud at Mount Union as he's like a stud in everything that he does. And like um, Campbell went to BG for a while or BW for a while yeah. and stuff. So and that's just the four that I can think of off the top of my head. I think we had, they had a, we had a couple more that year and we got ran over, ran the fuck over by Walsh who like had the team, like probably one of the best high school football teams that that school has ever seen and stuff. And like they had um, Rui went to Penn state that year. He was like a, a big D one prospect and stuff. Dan bash, the fullback and nose tackle got a full ride to Akron. And that's mm-hmm. like Alberta, their quarterback went somewhere on a baseball scholarship. So like this was like, the, the team to beat and our Nordonia team, which, which went eight and two and had D one prospects and everything got, got ran over by Walsh. Oh, yeah. Like, are you meaning to, to tell me that central Howard, which was a team we played that year that I believe went Oh, and 10, probably like the entire time I was in high school, if they made into the playoffs and got and played Walsh, they would get dismantled. Like mm-hmm. there'd be suicides after that game. <laughs> no, you're right. It, it, it's, it's stupid. It's, I, I'm not one of those people like, oh, it's because we we want to give everyone a participation trophy. It's not that. It, it's like I understand they want to expand playoffs, but like I'm I'm sure that like that's just the easy answer versus like doing something difficult like seeding and you know formulating matchups, giving bye weeks, that kind of stuff is probably too hard. Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly right. It's just like let's let everybody in there, see what happens, and yeah, because we don't want to do the fucking work. Yeah, uh, Chema. So the last few seasons, I'm bringing this back to baseball here for a minute. Um, the last few seasons, we have had legitimate villains um, playing for the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it took me a while to get to this sort of um, this sort of point of view, but like I'm here now, and it it was this is like even before they lost the World Series, just you know, just a night ago, uh, as of this recording, I got I got I got there like earlier this season. I am actually really pleased that baseball has a villain again. Like the last time that we had a villain, the closest thing that we had a villain, the 1990s Yankees. I mean, we, we used to, mm-hmm. the nickname was the evil empire. Um, right. That's the last time that we had a real true villain in a sport like baseball. And I'm kind of pleased that we have someone that everyone collectively has someone <laughs> to boo that everyone collectively kind of is cheering, hoping that like they, they, they fail and they don't fail very often because they're a really great team that, quite frankly, never ever needed to cheat, but they did anyway. Um, right. I, I'm I am very in favor of this because I think all sports are better when there's a villain. What do you think? Oh, I am completely in agreement with you. Uh, every sport is better when they have a villain, and I it works even better 
when it comes from the state of California or the state of Texas. Those I think are the two number one and two where it just works so much better. Like having the, having the Warriors be that villain NBA mm. team and now having a Texas baseball team as being the bad guys. It just, there's so many reasons for the general public to like, not like Texas. And the fact that the, um, and there's reasons to like it too, but you know, um, but the fact that there's a baseball team down there that everybody doesn't like, I think it just, it just works. Like there's something about these bigger States where it's always like an us versus the rest of the country type mentality, no matter how many cities say they're something versus everybody shirt. Cause believe me, we they're in every city across America, <laughs> yes, they are. but I think like, so, but Texas and California, those teams like being hated, especially by like a large scale of people across the country, it just works so much better. There is something about it. It's like this unspoken kind of thing that when it comes from those two areas that just makes it even better. But if there is just an overall like villain that you can totally hate on in your sport, it, it just, it, it is, it's better in general. It drives up ratings because people want to see them fucking lose and I don't care, like, when it comes to, like, the rating stuff, like, I really don't give a shit if uh, 25 million diehard fans are watching it or if it's 25 million people that want to watch the team burn. Like, I actually think it's better. (laughs) They don't care either. (laughs) Yeah. Fox wouldn't care either. Right, right. And, like, I I, I think with this Astros thing, it's, it's a little more special because um, the whole cheating thing, number one, like, they did it. They got like no penalty. They got like a, the equivalent of like a, uh, a parking ticket as far as like the penalties go. Mm-hmm. And they're already back in it. You know, like they were they were a couple like games away from the World Series last year, last if year. I'm not yep. mistaken. Yep. So the fact that this bad team is good, it just it just adds number one, an awesome layer to the game. And number two, there's just something better about everybody fucking hate. collective hate is so much better than collective love. I will tell you that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, that's, that's a really good way to put it. And you're right. Like it, it's so It's great that these guys are good at baseball because if mm-hmm. they just like, if they like, if this whole cheating thing, like let's just say they got dismantled um, by baseball and they just sucked. It wouldn't be fun. It would still be kind of fun to make fun of them, but like calling them the trash rows and like every every single major league baseball social media post where people are putting the trash cans in the comment section, it just mm-hmm. wouldn't be as fun if this team was a dog shit team. Um, yeah, it just wouldn't be as fun. The same way that like cheering against the Yankees wouldn't be as fun if they sucked back in the nineties. Um, right, like, they're just so good and and like they're unrepentant about like how good they were. That like it just it just makes it that much better. I think I, like it's funny because like I know there's some people that like they hate the Dodgers. I think that's more about like overexposure versus mm-hmm. actual hate. The Dodgers are just you know they're the darlings of baseball currently. Um, yeah, they haven't they haven't cheated. They're a prestige team. They won a World Series recently. They have a lot of likable players, so they're on they're on a lot of social media channels. They get talked about a lot uh, you know on Sports Center and. All the all the sports shows and everything else. I think people are tired of them from that aspect, but they're not villains. Yeah. Same with right. like, I don't think of Alabama as being villains in college football. I think of Alabama more like being um, like that impossible wave to surf. 
that like yeah it's it's a it's a physical challenge that so when someone what's i know there's a um what is there's a, a surfing competition in hawaii mavericks where like these people are riding like six trying to ride these like 60 70 foot waves that's mm-hmm. alabama it's like this is anyone up to the challenge to finally like take you know get on the board and ride this thing all the way down and then like be successful at the end like without fucking dying in the process. That's <laughs> right. That's Alabama. They're not really I mean, sure, probably some people think they're villains, but I just think it's more of a it's it's the equivalent of, of Mavericks, it's the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest. Right? Like that's what Alabama right. is. But the Astros are villains through and through. There's no other way to there's no other way to think about them. Oh yeah, with dude, without a fucking doubt, man. Like you made a really good differentiation between the two, and like Alabama is that the the main guy in the movie that only the antagonist can fight, can beat. You know, like the the big strong dude who kicks everybody's ass and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like while that guy in the movie might be the villain it does not translate into the the sporting arena and stuff like that i I think it's like one of those things where alabama is so established it's such a historical program and saban's gonna win 10 national titles before he retires easily and especially in this modern era which is like way harder to do than it was in like the you know the 20s or whenever they had their their big initial run of all those Mm -hmm. games so there's almost like it's almost like this thing that like they're just so good like you have to no joke just like show respect until you're able to until you're able to beat them right but with but with the astros they the cheating thing they embrace it they don't care that they fucking got caught dude like they're right this is like this is like nothing to them they got no penalty whatsoever they're laughing at the fact that you know there's going to be no like recalling of their trophies and all there's no forfeiting of that stuff like they're relishing in that shit and they did something wrong and got away with it which just you know that sets up the ultimate like villain persona alabama didn't do anything wrong they just are that fucking good right the thing the thing where it's really going to ding a couple of players is when their careers are said and done like jose yeah. altuve is going to be a borderline hall of fame candidate and that's probably the thing that's going to keep him out like cuz he's going to end up probably getting 25 2600 hits probably hitting close to 300 home runs like that's those are like those are like second base numbers that like Joe Morgan has um and Joe yeah. Morgan was like a very like I think Joe Morgan got like 80 70 or 80 uh, percent of the vote like in his first like he was in, in like his first try um Jose Altuve is not getting in in his first try um or maybe yeah, ever. No. yeah and you know something like if they're kicking out Pete Rose for or keeping him from the Hall of Fame from the gambling stuff and all that yeah, they should be preventing people from this team for making it into the Hall of Fame based off the cheating. Like, there's, and if the minute that one of these people get in, um, they should have Pete Rose in the same induction ceremony. It's the, the really what keeps Pete Rose out, especially now that like gambling and everything's totally legal. Um, the thing that keeps him out is how unrepentant he was about it, and that like he spent the rest he spent the rest of his life at this point, sort of like giving MLB the middle finger about it. When I gotcha, if he like years ago, if he would apologized, I have a feeling that he would have been he would have gotten in, um, you know, more probably more recently through like some veteran stuff. Um, but I, I have a feeling he's it's gonna be after he dies if he ever gets in, just something so they don't actually have to see him, <laughs> yeah, like the basically. in person there. Yep. Yeah, I gotcha, I understand what you're saying. 
All right, let's finish this out with a, we have to we have to talk about it. a little uni watch. Talk about some uniforms here. Uh, so Chima, from any team, one old school uniform you hope becomes a part of like the regular rotation. Okay, dude, I went through a lot of freaking jerseys and stuff, and like I, I had to go NBA on this because I love like just older NBA jerseys, mm-hmm. and I I want the Nuggets blue with the gold trim and um, the Denver skyline and that weird color pattern from 1991 to 1992. I want that to be a regular part of the Denver nugget. And I know that they've, they've come close to kind of replicating that, but I just want that exact same design. I always thought that that was fucking awesome. Matumbo looked amazing in those jerseys and stuff. And um, I, that's what I'm all about. That's going to be, there's a, so many of them, but that's the one I, that I went on. It's I, such a cool, unique jersey. I, I love that one, too. It's very unique. It actually it reminds me of the old school, um, uh, back when back before like uh, the homophobes convinced uh, University of Hawaii to change their name from the Rainbow Warriors to the Warriors. Um, Hawaii mm-hmm. had like a rainbow mm-hmm. on their helmets. That was like really fucking cool. Yeah. Um, right. Always reminds me of that. And I love this uniform. And they, are, like, they have like a city edition uniform this year that's kind of like this one. Um, yeah, yeah, not quite, but kind of like this one. This is, this is, dude, you're, yeah, you're dead on with that one. These old NBA jerseys, some of them are fucking, I can't believe that some of these teams have not gone back to them. They're so good. Yeah, I know, dude. There's like so many, there's old school, like Dallas ones that look awesome, you know, that they've done in throwback, kind of like throwback ones, like that are altered to sort of look like the throwback, but those are way fucking cooler. Like I even like, I, I kind of appreciate what the San Antonio Spurs did for their city edition jerseys mm-hmm. this year and kind of embracing the, the other colors in their logo instead of all black and silver. Yeah. The, like, yeah. The, 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 the classic, the more classic South Southwestern style of, of color of like what the, what the sunset looks like, the landscape looks like, <laughs> that's what it looks like down there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's all my like my dad got me this like book about the old NBA like it was you know like a book that I no longer have and it's it just you know been gone in the time but it had like just shots of everybody in like just old school fucking jerseys and stuff and like I there's just something about the the beauty of the simplicity of those things yep yep I I'm with you so much so that I had mine is also from the NBA and I know we've talked about it before um but the Brooklyn Nets need to go back to the New York Nets era jerseys, the red, white, and blue ones, with, like, the star pattern, mm-hmm. the asymmetrical star pattern that goes down the one side. Because, um, it, A, it's awesome. I mean, these might be, these are, like, for me, like, amongst the, probably these are, like, top five uniforms across all sports all time, I think. Yeah. Um, this would have been, like, in the 1970s back when uh, Dr. J was, was playing for the playing for the Nets. Um, and they're... Their their city edition uniform does pay some homage to that era. Um, their city editions are like an homage from like all the eras of their uniforms. Um, but like yes, but like nonetheless, like really, what I like period is that Jesus Christ, there's color involved. Like mm-hmm. the black and white uniforms aren't in, aren't themselves like aren't terrible necessarily. But like we've talked about it before, when you're playing a when you're wearing a black and white uniform and you're playing on a fucking grayscale court. It looks like my whole picture is like on a TV is like off. Like I've changed the color or something. They need right. a desperate infusion of color into their into the into the into the uniforms, and for that matter, onto the goddamn court that they play on. Yeah, and um, I'm going to add one layer onto that here. And I've talked about this before, so I'll make it quick. 
that whole fucking arena is painted black on the inside in terms of the ha- the hallway colors are painted black. The only oh. thing that's not black is the floor. <coughs> and it <coughs> looks dreadful. <coughs> Sorry, some stuff went down the wrong pipe there. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely dreadful. And like, there's no like, I know it's like black and white are supposed to be the color contrast here, but I think that they could contrast with just like, I would rather I take black and silver or black and light gray on the uniform. I don't do just something different than what they have now. Like this is one of those examples where um, minimalism is not working for a Mm-mm. multitude of reasons. Mm-mm. It doesn't look good. It's it, it like they even like, I, I know the last couple of years they've even like gone with the, um, um, they've gone with like the Drazen Petrovich era Nets, Nets uniforms as like alternates. As like throwbacks, they're like the big nets, like in the. It's actually the one on the current yeah. city edition uniform, and then it's got like yep. almost like um, not like a like a gradient pattern to it. Even that would be an improvement over like what's going on, like the color combinations now, because it just looks so mm-hmm. dour. And like I said, it's like it's like you're watching a black and white TV. It just looks so strange. It's like it's an eyesore. Yeah. They need they need some colors in the worst way. Yeah, you know, like that gradient pattern that they wore um, last year, like the, the last year uniform, that looks like it's like it's so much color that it actually looks weird because it is such a contrast from what they normally wear that when I see it, I'm just like, like I have to like almost like do like a double take, you know, like there's something about it that it just looks off to me because of what I see regularly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I 100 percent agree with you there. Um, Chandler, let me, let me pop my question here real quick for you. Um, going back to college football, do you like it when the prestige college football programs screw around with their uniforms? Like with the Ohio state just had like the scarlet out, um, uh, last week for, for the Penn state game. It, do you like that? And like, if not, like, what would you tweak about it? Or what? I don't know. Like you just, you tell me what you think about this. Okay. My thoughts on this are completely reliant on whatever the team decides to do. Okay. Like, so the Scarlet out, I think that that might be one of the best Ohio state uniform changes that we've seen in recent times. Like I really liked that. I dug it too. The, yep. bl- the blackout Mm-mm. a little much, Mm-mm. a little too far in the opposite direction. Um, there've been some like, see, the thing is, is that like, me personally, red and black on sports teams, I'm not – or red – I know Ohio State is red and gray. Unfortunately, scarlet and gray. I know that there's not really a lot that you could do with those colors, especially like with the way that the uniform looks regularly. And because the uniform of Ohio State we associate with winning – it looks really off to me when they do these kinds of changes. Okay. Like that Ohio state specifically, there's been, there was a uniform that they went with within the last 10 years. That was awful. It was like this command. They called it the commando uniform. I think they brought it out for a Michigan game and it it was like a, a, like a, a dark scarlet type helmet. It looked awful, dude. It looked so bad. So, that I'm a little like I'm a little bit like in less of a favor of like Ohio State doing it, but there are certain programs that I don't really seem to mind it much depending on what they do. Like Notre Dame, you maybe get a shiny helmet, 
they tried some other alterations with like um, putting in like a funky looking Notre like the ND on the helmet that didn't look so good. I think I've seen a couple shamrocks on the helmet, which actually like I'll I'll kind of tolerate that. Um, so like this would be one of those questions that like um, if we were to just hammer out like 50 different alternate uniforms, like, I could probably give you like a much more detailed take on it. But I would have to say that. Um, in general, um, it just depends on what they do. And I could like if, it, if a team did two alternate uniforms, it is completely probable that I would not like one and like another one or not like them both. But I would very, very rarely like them both. If that's kind of the best way to explain it. Yeah, I, I yes, I, I gotcha. And just I was looking this up real quick. The I remember that that Michigan game uh, where they it was it was like Dwayne Haskins. I feel like Dwayne Haskins had to come in um, because because Barrett like twisted his knee or something. Okay. And it was a white uniform, solid white uniform, gray helmet, and then the Buckeyes were like reflective scarlet. And one of the worst uniforms I've ever seen them wear. Like, yeah, it, it's awful. And, and it did have it did have like some camo like trim to it or whatever. Like the socks were kind of like camo or whatever. Yeah. And. Awful. Just a terrible, terrible, terrible uniform. And then they had the ones against Penn State that were like that same kind of idea, but like all gray mm-hmm. with with like the silver or the, excuse me, like the scarlet, like reflective Buckeyes. And like, I, I hate, I hate those. What I do like is sort of doubling down on like, I love the scarlet out. Like, I think that was great. I like doubling down on like our, our predominant, um, notable color makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I like when I like when we do like throwback uniforms, you know, like Ohio State has some interesting throwbacks. Like I like that. I don't want to see like the total takeover or like a redesign that like Nike did for for some of those games. I just something about it. It's just like you're you're overthinking the thing that and I know you want to sell more jerseys and whatever else. It, it's fine. And you know, they do it for some of the recruits. It's fine. But like you have such a strong, notable color. You need to lean into that more often. Yeah, exactly. Like the way that the red on red looked, looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the contrast of the, the gray helmet and stuff like that looked classic. That looked like something that could have been in existence for a hundred years. Like yep. they could have easily played that in the 1900s or something. No problem. Like I remember when people were freaking out because um, they changed the design of the sleeves to go from like the three white and gray lines to just the single white line with the black stripes around it mm-hmm. and like and like i thought that that was okay that wasn't too drastic but some people really got up in arms and i'm like hey, those people were getting up in arms over that i hope to god that they're grabbing the pitchforks and torches when they see the gr- the gray uniform and stuff you know yeah yeah i, yeah, I don't know it, sorry uh, it's just like it's just one of those things like i think ohio state is besides oregon um but i actually kind of like that oregon's sort of like a lab for like uniform mm-hmm. designs like it's just like some team needs to be that i'm kind of glad it's oregon but like, yeah, I, I really don't like it when we see that with Ohio State. I remember um, prior to that, like you know, years before, like um, Texas, Texas went with like a like a full black uniform for like for like a um, it might have been when Vince Young was there, maybe it was when Colt McCoy was there. They went with like a full black uniform one time uh, for like a national TV game, and I'm like, you have one of the most interesting colors, <clears throat> one of the most iconic, simplistic uniforms. Why didn't you mm-hmm. double down on that instead of just going all fucking yep. black? Looks terrible. Um, I, I, I love I, I love burnt orange. That's a crime. Yeah, yeah, that burnt orange uniform. Even though 
I will maintain that Texas is maybe the most overrated school and program in the history of college football. Like if you really go of back course. and look at look at how good they've been, it's like in pockets they're good, and overall they're not that mm-hmm. great. But yep. nonetheless, it's an iconic. It is a very iconic uniform with the big, you know, the big Longhorn on the helmet, the the that classic color burnt orange that really no other team in any sport has. Um, like, why aren't you leaning more into that? It's just uh, like some of these things. Like it's just you take it, you take it a notch too far. Um, and I'll give Michigan credit; they really don't fuck around with their uniforms too much. Yeah, they, I think they've changed the line color a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that they've done anything like too drastic. Maybe like an all blue helmet or something, but nothing too drastic there. Alabama, I don't think has ever changed. Never. Like, if they had, it hasn't been anything worth worth noting. Um, I I guess like one thing that um, I could like we didn't see it a lot in recent years, but it was kind of happening where like. Um, Northwestern did this uniform, I think for like a versus army or something. It had like a blood splattering on it. So mm-hmm. I think we're, we're done making statements via the uniform, which I'm, which I'm kind which I'm okay with. I like, I, I would rather have the, the kneel during the anthem than wear blood splattered uniforms. If that's, if, I can't even believe I just said that, but it's totally true. Um, <laughs> to, to make some kind of statement, I, I guess, you know, and yeah. um, the one thing that Oregon tried that, this year, which looked great on them, which I'm hoping is just kind of even a one-off for them, is this um, cookies and cream design. They did it for their game two games ago, where it was a um, like a, a grayish uniform base, uh, green letters, and then they had these like little black dots all over the place that you know just kind of gave you the impression of like what cookies and cream ice cream looked like. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping we don't see that one again, but it was cool to get the one shot of it. You know, at least they didn't, they did it in the most appropriate way. So as long as these aren't like too busy, like I, people can kind of continue to do whatever they want in terms of like some of the, the smaller programs and stuff. Yes, exactly. And I, I'll say besides Oregon, go ahead. They can be a lab. I do look forward to the army Navy uniforms every year, like what they're going to do yes. for their big game. Like that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool that they've they've now embraced like doing it like every single year. Is like when we were growing up, it was just you know them wearing the the traditional the black or the blue, yeah the black and the blue yep. But yeah, now they kind of do interesting stuff with it. That's pretty fun. Um, last last thing, real quickly here that I would like to see, um, I would love to see an Ohio State Michigan game where Ohio State gets to wear their scarlet and Michigan gets to wear their blue. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be like, are they both? That's both their away colors, right? But, but, they're home. They, but they're homes. They're homes. Okay, I thought they were. I'm sorry, I thought they were white at home. Yeah, like the um, uh, UCLA and USC did uh, two teams wearing home jerseys last year. Fucking awesome. Yep. It looked so cool. Yep, screen. and they, even though like, they're playing a penalty for it, fuck Coliseum. there's a stupid penalty for it. You lose a timeout. I remember several years ago when Rick Neuheisel was the coach of UCLA um, and Pete Carroll was the head coach at USC. Um, they, it was a home game. It had to be a home game for USC because I think, no, no, it was a home game for UCLA. So they're the Rose Bowl. And, um, so USC got a, a, a penalty for wearing their home uniforms, which is fucking stupid. Um, but they got a penalty for wearing their home uniforms. So they got penalized for a timeout. So Rick Neuheisel took a timeout at the beginning of the game to like, basically yeah. like, fine, <laughs> leaving it up. Yeah. That's actually cool. Like, I think that that's cool. It's a stupid fucking rule, but I'm glad that um, the other coach took the opportunity to to acknowledge that and yeah. even it up too. Yeah. All right. How Definitely. about you, your uh, your uni watch question here? 
so my last one's another pretty easy one is uh, what are your thoughts on the the new Cavs city edition jersey oops sorry there um yeah like in general i like it i'm kind of i'm kind of over the big the big like sir cc logo the big you know the the cavalier kind of deal with it um yeah but i'm i really one i think we're headed for a uniform design in the next couple years anyway and Mm -hmm. i would like them to i would like them to eliminate that blue and eliminate that like blood red that we're we're going with right now and go with the more brighter yellow and red like if if we are going to lean into uh, an old school design like our city edition uniform is kind of basically doing then go with the brighter more lively colors like I, I gotcha. I don't. I don't think they're a home run. I, pref- you know what? I really wish we'd bring back after seeing those black and blue and orange ones. Um, we mm-hmm. talked about last year. I kind of wish those would come back in some iteration. But yep. if you're gonna go with those old school like '70s '80s styles uniform, early '80s style uniforms, then like go with the bright bolder ones. Like they just, it just is a better look than like that dark red. Yeah, I'm. I hate like. I didn't really like the wine and gold shift in the beginning. I will forever love the blue and orange calves, like the, you know, mm-hmm. the old, the, them dunking the ball and the V and everything. It's like one of my favorite um, sports logos, like of all time and stuff. And I granted, I know that they had to go like LeBron's coming. You want to revamp the image of the team, make some changes, go back, do a throwback to the wine and gold era. I think it's totally fine. Now that LeBron is left and we're ushering in like, you know, with Mo- like the Mobley era and some of these other younger people, mm-hmm. like I, I kind of want them to abandon the wine and gold altogether and go back sure. to blue and orange. Um, I've been a big advocate now of that for a while. Um, I do not like the, the, the red and with the blue Cleveland and everything like that. Nope. I'm I just that not a fan of that. The white jersey looks a little bit better, and I it's, rarely it's, it's side. It's pretty with, clean. It's a clean look. Yeah, yeah, and like I rarely side with um, the white jersey over the um, the color jersey. Like I always think that the color jerseys bring way more to the table. Mm-hmm. But with this current city edition jersey that they did, at least it's not the fucking rock and roll letters and all that crap from like last year, <laughs> or whatever that was. They learned their that lesson. Was, they did, yeah. And like I heard, um, like Andy Baskin says, it looks like a practice jersey. I don't give a flying fuck. Okay, like it's I love just like it's very sleek. It's very simple. I know that there's a lot going on in like the fine print of the jersey mm-hmm. in terms of kind of telling the team's history. I'm cool with that. And like if we're still gonna cling on to the wine and gold for a couple more years. I actually think that that might be one of the best jerseys that I agree. They have right yeah, now. I agree. I agree. It just it I can I can sort of see it how it's going to pop a little bit better than than the current red uh, pops. It's just I don't I can't believe they went with that red color. It's just so that wine color. It's so dark. It's just not yeah. when I think of like when I think of like using the color red in uniforms. It's never that dark. The only ones that like can can kind of get away with it are like Alabama because that's been their color forever. And it's right. It just it looks different on their jerseys than it does on a basketball jersey. Yeah, th- there is something going on there that like I just it just looks like it's like the blandest possible red. You know, like mm-hmm. wh- like th- that color. I just see drinks. You know what I'm saying? I don't see <laughs> yeah. uni- I, I don't see uniforms like 
it's cool that they like, you know, maybe did this like later on or earlier on in history. And like I said, like when they brought LeBron back, I, I think that that's the only way you could have gone. Like I, you know, just as far as rebranding and doing all the stuff with the team. Mm-hmm. But now that, now that we're beyond that, um, I think that it would be a great way to usher in a new generation to, let the people know that like LeBron's not there anymore, even though I know that they know that, but just like, you know, that was the past and they could bring back some of these jerseys from the LeBron era during their city edition runs or their statement, whatever they could still Mm -hmm. bring them back. But I want the primary colors to go back to blue and orange. It's just about time. Yep. I'm, I'm with it there. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Like I I'm, I'm with you there in the blue and orange. But I, I'm kind of hoping that the blue and orange is that they don't just go back to the old Cavs logo with like even though I kind of like that logo, I do hope mm-hmm. they do something kind of different with it. But they do go back to their color base. But like I said, if they're going to stick with the wine and gold for right now, at least that city edition uniform pops a little bit. It's a little bit brighter. Yeah, definitely, dude. And like I got to tell you, like I'm totally okay with them doing some newer stuff, like with in terms of like the fonts and everything. One thing that I, it's going to sound really weird, but this is just how nitpicky I am. I want all of the letters to be the same size. I don't want like the C to be really big and then it's on a slant and then the S is really small. Like whatever they decide to do with like the lettering, I just want everything to be the exact same font and the exact same size letter. Mm -hmm. I agree with you there. Can I throw one thing out here before we go that... Uh, a team that kind of, I don't want to say knocked it out of the ballpark, but did a really good job with their first ever uniform design. I I low-key like the Seattle Kraken sweatshirt. Sweater, excuse oh, me. Oh, yeah. I do. It's, it's, like, it's, perf- it's not perfect. Like, I think they could make, definitely update and make some improvements. But for your first uniform out the gate for your new team, this is really good. Yeah, I give that that team a lot of fucking props. I like what I've seen so far from um, their logo, the jersey design. I think the colors are really great. I love that it's another team that doesn't end in S. It's just the Seattle Kraken. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's really fucking cool. And I, I got to tell you, man, like what the future is going to be for this team and like logos and stuff there personally, I'm hoping for like a kind of like a cartoony type Kraken that's maybe like wrestling a hockey stick or something like that. Like, or has a hockey stick. Like there's a lot of sweet shit that these people can do and they've knocked it out of the park very well so far. Yeah. It, it's definitely like a good first step. Um, I, I think, I think we got to get like in, in the same vein, I think we got to give the guardians a couple of years. Like, there, those those uniforms and those designs will get better. Like I really dislike that G with the baseball um, in the middle of it. Like I think it's stupid as fuck. But I like they're going to get better with it. But the Seattle Kraken for sure. That's that's definitely like a really good um, first uh, foray into the uniforms uh, for a team that didn't exist. So like that's they did a really good job with that. Yeah, dude. I will tell you what the Cleveland Guardians should do to complete this whole steamrolling process. They should take the Guardians roller derby logo, both the, the the way they spell it out, Guardians and their little G. They should steal both of those because they're way better than what we have now, and just complete the steamrolling process. Like if you're gonna do this, <laughs> let's let's steamroll like a fucking man and take uh take everything because I I gotta tell you the one thing that the roller derby team has going for them over the the baseball team. I think they did a much better job with um, the logo interpretation um, on the roller derby team. They they 
did, and this is from someone who does like design work. It also looks like shit, um, which kind of tells you that like the Guardians baseball team. I don't, I don't know. Do they like forget to make a a logo and then they had to like put it together last minute because like it, it's it's not good. But like the the Guardians roller team, the roller derby team too. Like their their stuff kind of looks like shit too. At least to me, yeah. It just doesn't look. Oh, good. it's no, it's really like what they did. Okay, they have a roller derby logo. Okay? Yes, exactly. But it and that we logo was don't even have a roller derby logo. <laughs> Right, right, it, and I think that if, if the baseball team stylized their logo, the the roller derby logo, uh, just a little bit, I think you're looking at a home run here. It actually has one of the faces of the Guardians of Traffic on it. Um, the the font like could obviously be improved and stuff, but at least you have what it's supposed to be on the fucking logo. Yes, I would. Oh man. Okay, I swear to God, I'm, I'm going to be done with this because uh, I have to go to bed soon. Um, uh, like, what they should have done is sort of, or at least what would have been interesting off the bat. Like, so like they're they're just going to go with the with the block C and that, or like a different version of like a C in the on the hat. Um, mm-hmm. Why didn't instead of like a logo, why didn't we like go with like a crest that like an old like a soccer team would have, like an English soccer team would have? Oh, that's a good idea. That's really cool and different right there. You, you're not getting any, no other teams have that right. shit. I mean, it wouldn't be the most, it wouldn't be the easiest thing to place on the uniform necessarily. But like, I, like, I feel like that's already merchandised with like flags and stuff that you could make that people would bring uh, other, oh, like on a coat or something. Like there's other stuff you could do with it had you made a crest. I've always thought that that would be an interesting direction they could go. Yeah, that's a really interesting direction. And who knows, like the way that um, the way that this team is going to be trying out new logos and crazy gear and stuff like that throughout the season, we might actually see something like that. Who knows? I know. I know. All right, Chema, I promise that's it. So that's it. Um, any final thoughts here before we wrap this one up? Other than I'm glad we wrapped it up when we did, because I could have gone on about logos and jerseys for another three hours. I know. So I always I know. can. <laughs> I know. Same here. All right. You want to lead us out? Yeah, you bet, dude. Everybody out there, thank you for tuning in to this this week's installment of The Blind Sports, and we hope you enjoyed listening to us. You can check us out on uh, Spotify, Podbean, Facebook, and Instagram. We are the Occasionalists, Adam Chmielewski, Matthew Pagel, wishing you the best. Thank you so much.